Well, welcome everybody, and again, happy Father's Day. Um, for you who are here for the first time, my name is Dave Fukuyama, and I'm the senior pastor, and I'm just so happy that you're here with us today to celebrate with us. And um, for those of you who weren't here last week, we started this two-sermon series on the, um, the uh, spiritual armor. You know, because defending yourself is important. And when I was a child, you know, I was a small child and I was bullied and I was chased by gangs and all of that. And I asked my, you know, parents, hey, could you sign me up in a karate class? You know, I need to know martial arts to defend myself. And my, you know, parents said no. You know, we just don't have the money for that. Right? So I said, okay. So I made it through high school. But in my early 30s, I started to make enough money where I said, okay, I am going to take martial arts. So I signed up for this martial arts class, right? And I was so happy and excited with all these new techniques that I was being taught. And so I come home, right? And I said, okay, Grace, I want to teach you what I learned. And I learned the side block, right? And the upper block. So I'm like this. I said, okay, honey, hit me. And so I, she's right-handed, so I think she's going to hit me with the right hand. So I'm ready to block, right? So I'm ready. And then she hits me with the left hand. And boom, hits me in the head. And then, okay, left hand, got it. Uh, she's going to come with the left because she thinks I'm not. So I said, okay, again, honey. Boom, she hits me with the left this time. Boom, hits me again, right? Okay, I'm one last, okay, right, left, I'm ready for both of them. So I said, okay, one more time, let's try it. And then she goes, boom, and she kicks me right there and drops me to the floor, right, because I wasn't expecting that. And she's just laughing at me, and, and she says, you need to get your money back, right? <laughs> and, and so it was funny, right? And so I was taken in my mid-30s, and I eventually quit because I was just too old, Right? I was sparring against these high schoolers, and the only way I knew I got hit is when my head would snap back. I mean, I would never see it coming, and these kids were taking it easy on me because they knew I was the old man. But even when they were taking it easy on me, I would still get hit, kicked, and I said, forget it, right? But, you know, growing up, okay, my father didn't... Um, allow me to take martial arts with I think it's, you know, good for people to learn how to defend themselves. But one thing he did teach us, all of us, all of the children, is how to defend ourselves spiritually. And that's important. And as we look at the armor of God, and I get it, most of you have already gone through this countless times, and you know it. And so part of this is just as a reminder you know, that, hey, there is a war going out there. There is a battle, and we need to be prepared. And especially for, since this is Father's Day, so all of our parents, and, you know, even grandparents, these are the things that you need to be teaching your children and grandkids. Yes, you might have them in a martial arts class, which is good, but you have to be teaching them how to defend themselves spiritually. Because we talk, a past raise was what? Being transformed. And I guarantee you, and I could promise you this, if you are being transformed by the Holy Spirit, you will be attacked by our enemy. It's guaranteed. And if you are not being attacked, that's when I would start worrying. Because if you are not being attacked, Satan's going, oh, you know what, Dave? He's doing his own thing. You know, he's, we got him right where we want him. 
Just let him go. Let him go. Because if we attack him, then he's going to run to God. If we attack him and make his life miserable, then what? He's going to put on that spiritual armor, man. He's not doing any of that. We got him what we want. Just leave him alone. Just leave him alone. He's doing what we want him to be doing. However, if you are growing spiritually, if you are maturing in Christ, if you want to become more and more like Christ, I guarantee you, you will be attacked. So what do we do? Well, last week we looked at Ephesians 6, 11, right? And he says, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And remember, what is one of the devil's schemes? Well, part of it, he tempts us in three areas. The lust of the flesh. I want to do what feels good, right? The lust of the eyes. I want what I see. Man, there's so many things out there that could uh, make me happy. I want those things. Or it says, the boastful pride of life. I want to control my life. I want to be the ones making decisions for my life because what? I know best. Not you, God, right? And so all of these things are targeted to do what? All the state and schemes are targeted for us to distrust God. That God can't give you happiness. God can't give you significance. You know, giving control of, to God, he's going to mess up your life, right? So do it on your own. And that's what Satan's scheme's trying to do. He's trying to get us to distrust God. Now, you know, Satan is not capable of, you know, doing these things to us. And his primary battlefield is what? In our heads. In our heads. Right? When it comes to the dealing with the physical world, he is limited by what God can allow him to do. And so what he tries to do is he tries to get in your head, to get you to think to do something, to get you to do it. And just like with Eve, right? He didn't take the apple and put it in her mouth to eat it. No, what he did is he tempted her and she took it on her own volition. And this is how Satan works. It's in our mind. And so a lot of people say, well, how do I know the difference? Because we all have our own personal temptations, right? How do you know when this is just your own natural, you know, sin patterns, which we have, and how do you know if this attack is coming from Satan? And the only way for me to answer that is you know. You know. Because when you are being tempted by Satan, it is powerful. It is, it, it is not your normal temptation, and I've had that. It's almost like somebody's grabbing you and pulling you. Do this, do this, do this. It's, it's strong, you know, like you're on the freeway, right? Somebody cuts you off. Go after him, go after him, go after him, you know? Or, you know, use a symbol to show him something, you know? And, of course, I'm, I can't do that because, you know, pastor, we, we shouldn't be doing that, right? But you know when it's tempted, when it's... It's just really, really powerful. And you will just know the difference when it comes, right? But then he says in verse 12, he goes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of the heavenly realm. What um, Paul is telling us here is our battle is against the spiritual world. And when we are battling the forces of the spiritual world, we need to use spiritual tactics and spiritual weapons to defend ourselves. Because if we use our physical senses, which is our own wisdom, what we see, what we know, our experiences, our intelligence, and our willpower to fight these spiritual forces, 
you're going to lose. We're going to lose 100% in, of the time. Why? Because we're using human weapons to try to fight spiritual forces. And what Paul is saying here, no, you need to use the right weapons for the right type of battle. And once again, Satan operates in your mind, right, to get you to do things that are harmful to you. You might think they're good for you. You might think, hey, this is what I want. This, will, what, um, this was what will make me happy. But God is saying, Dave, I know. I created you. I know what will give you significance. And it's nothing this world could offer you, right? But Satan is what? He is a father, uh, father of lies, right? He knows that we as believers are victorious. He knows that Christ defeated death on the cross. He knows Christ defeated sin on the cross. He knows that as children of God, we are victorious. The war has already been won. He has, Satan has lost. He and all of his demons know that. However, he could try to get us to believe that we've been defeated. And that's his goal. Instead of living victorious lives, he's going to try to make us live as if we were defeated. And this is where we come into the armor. And it says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after, every, after you've done everything, to stand. Right? So he says, hey, I'm, you know, God's given you this armor to be able to stand to live victoriously, to not believe the lies of Satan that says that you're a loser, that you're a failure, and that uh, you are going to live a defeated life, that you've been defeated. That's what our enemy wants. But this is what the armor prevents. And he lists six pieces of armor, and he breaks them down into first uh, three categories. The first three pieces of armor are to be worn at all times. And the second category of armor are to be picked up and used as needed. So we're talking about the first pieces of armor that are to be worn at all times, right? It's kind of like for those of you watching a football game, right? You see the players. They have their uniforms. They have their pads, right? And they have them on at all times. However, when they go on to the battlefield, what do they do? Then they pick up the helmet and they put their helmet on, right? And this is a concept here. So the first three that we're going to talk about, we should be wearing all the time. And the first one, he says, stand firm then with a buckle of truth around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in his place, and with your feet fitted with readiness that come from the gospel of peace. And he said, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist. Because the Roman soldier back then, they wore a tunic. And basically a tunic was an oversized shirt. Right? It was an oversized shirt. And you needed a belt to wrap it around to what? Be able to allow you to um, fight or your tunic would encumber you. You know, when I was a uh, sophomore in high school, you know, I was playing baseball for the baseball team. And since I was one of the last ones to make the team, I was given a uniform. And I unfortunately was the last uniform available. I didn't get to choose. And at that time, I was about 135 pounds and I wore a medium. 
this uniform was a triple XL. And so here I'm wearing this uniform that it was like wearing this garbage bag over me and it went down to here on me, right? And it was so big that what? It enc- I, I couldn't throw with it. And whenever I tried to bat, you know, the sleeves and this, it would get in the way. So it would encumber the way I played. Even though I tried to cinch it and put it in, it was just, I looked like it was all puffed up, right? And it encumbered me, right? And this is what he's talking about here, is you need that belt of truth around your waist so what? You are not encumbered when you... A fight, and so what does he say? He said the uh, the belt then is what stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, right? So what he says saying truth. Well, tr- biblical truth is the ultimate standard by re- reality is measured, right? Biblical truth is the ultimate standard by which reality is mentioned. See, God's truth is objective, meaning it is determined outside you. It's not subjective based upon what you feel or what you believe. And so many times now, if you talk to people, truth is based upon how you perceive reality, well, I perceive reality by this. I feel this. And they say, well, what's true for you may be not true for me. And that's called subjective truth, right? And we see that all the time. However, when we look at God's truth, God's truth is not subjective. It is the ultimate truth by reality, well, by which reality is measured, right? And it's kind of like... Um, my watch says 11.17 right now. It says 11.17. However, if I look at my iPhone, my iPhone says 11.15, no, 16, right? And I said, well, you know, the iPhone's wrong. You know, this is, my watch is correct. It is, 11, now it's 11.17, right? It's two, my iPhone's two minutes off. And even if all of your watches say 1117, you're all off. You might think you're all right and go, oh, no, no, all of our watches say this. This must be true. That is not correct. Because how do iPhones measure time? Well, they have servers that connect with what? Atomic clocks. And the atomic clock is the ultimate determination of what the uh, your the correct time is. You can. Oh, I have a Rolex, and my Rolex says this. Atomic clock doesn't care. The atomic clock says no. This is a time, and so this is what the truth is. This is what God is. God is that atomic clock that says this is the correct time, regardless of what you think, regardless of what you feel, regardless of what your friends think and feel. Right. My truth is the ultimate truth. And for us to put on that belt, we have to believe that. We have to believe that whatever God says here is the ultimate truth. Not what our culture says. Not what our family says. Not what our friend says. It's what the Bible says, right? And so we have to first believe that God's truth is the ultimate truth, that there is no truth beyond that. You can't add it, you can't change it, that it is true. And then 
everything else that disagrees with that is what? False. Now, people may believe that it's false, but one day you're going to find out that it's true. You know, either we choose to believe it in this life or when we face God, we're going to ultimately realize that God's truth was truth. Then he also says, with the, um, put with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So righteousness, Tony Evans says, righteousness is the standard God requires uh, to, of people to be acceptable to him. Sorry, that's a mistake there. Righteousness is a standard God requires of people to be acceptable to him, right? And righteousness is basically practical applications of the truth. Righteousness is living according to what the truth of the Bible says, right? Not what we believe, right? And that's what righteousness is. is this is God's standard, now, it's not imputed righteousness. What, what that means is that when we became believers, God gave us his righteousness. Jesus gave us his righteousness. And so when we stand before God, believe it or not, whether you feel it or not, God sees you as righteous. God sees you as righteous, right? However, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about living righteously. And the opposite of right, righteousness is wrongness, right? You know, Satan can only affect your outward circumstances if God allows him to do this. However, if you live and if you and I live in a life of disobedience to God and live our lives that in opposite of what God's truth is, we invite our enemy to come into our lives, right? It's kind of like, remember back a while back, you know, there was a complaint about City Hall, and there was all this garbage that was piling up around City Hall. And what happened? It attracted rats, right? And so they had an infestation of rats now down near, you know, L.A. City Hall. Why? Because there was all of this garbage around, which invited the rats. But it's the same thing. If we're living our lives not according to the truth, but according to the way we want to live our lives, it's the same thing. We're putting out the garbage out there. And what are we doing? We are attracting Satan and his um, minions and his demons to come and affect our lives. God wants us to protect us. And God gave us tools to protect us. However, if we don't use them, then that gives us um, Satan an invitation to what? Come in and mess up our lives. Then he goes on to say, with your feet uh, fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And this is what, how Tony Evans defines peace. Peace is calm and tranquility of the soul in the midst of difficult circumstances. Now, being peace isn't the, being at peace isn't that, hey, my life is good because, you know, I've got no problems. My life is calm. The sea is smooth. That's not what biblical peace is. Biblical peace is what? Calm and tranquility of soul in the midst of difficult circumstances. Right? There's this one story that I read. It says about this one person named Horatio Spafford. It says, Horatio, Spate, Gra- excuse me, Horatio Gates Spafford was active in his church, and his home was always open to visitors. He was um, blessed with five children and considerable wealth. 
Horatio was a lawyer and owned a great deal of property in his home city of Chicago. When, his, when four years old, their son, Horatio Jr., died suddenly of scarlet fever. Then one year later, in October of 1871, a massive fire swept through downtown Chicago, devastating the city, including many other properties owned by Horatio. That day, almost 300 people lost their lives, and around 100,000 were left homeless. Despite their substantial financial loss, the Spaffords thought to demonstrate the love of Christ by assisting those who were grief-stricken and in great need. Two years later, in 1873, Horatio decided that his family should take a vacation in England, knowing that his friend, the evangelist D.L. Moody, would be preaching there in autumn. But Horatio was delayed because of business, so he sent his family ahead. He sent his wife and his four remaining children, all daughters, 11-year-old Anna, 9-year-old Margaret Lee, 5-year-old Elizabeth, and 2-year-old Tanetta. On December 22, 1873, while crossing Atlantic on the steamship, their vessel was struck by another ship. 226 people lost their lives when the ship sank with only within 12 minutes. All of Horatio Spafford's daughters perished. But remarkably, Anna Spafford survived the tragedy. Those rescued, including Anna, were found unconscious, floating on plankwood, and subsequently arrived in Cardiff, South Wales. Upon arriving there, Anna immediately sent a telegram to her husband, which included the words, Saved Alone. Receiving Anna's message, he set off at once to be reunited with his wife. On that particular day during the voyage, the captain summoned him to the bridge of the vessel. And pointing to its charts, he explained to Horatio that they were passing over the very spot where the ship sank that took the lives of his four daughters. It was said that upon hearing the news, Horatio returned to his cabin and wrote this hymn, which happens to be my favorite hymn of all time, called It Is Well With My Soul. And the first stanza goes like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. This is the peace that Paul is talking about here. This is a peace that allowed Horatio Spafford, who lost his first son, a year later lost his entire business, then lost his four daughters, to go and say, you know, when sorrows are like sea waves and just keep coming and coming and coming at you. He's saying this, whatever happens, whatever is thrown at me, God has taught me to say it is well with my soul. Because circumstances can't touch your soul, right? 
This is a peace that surpasses all understanding. This is a peace that doesn't make sense. When all of your world is crashing around you and people are looking at you and saying, how can you have this peace? It doesn't make sense. This is the peace that we're talking about. Because when you're in a spiritual battle, if you are anxious, you know, you're not focused, right? You need to be concentrating on using your spiritual weapons to fight against the enemy. But if you're anxious and you're thinking this, that, 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 what? You're distracted. But God says that you could have this peace. You know, some of you here right now have to make a difficult decision. Or you know a big decision is coming up. Or maybe you're going through a trial right now. What do we do? Well, we know the truth. We know the truth, which is God's, which is Scripture, right? And righteousness is what? Applying that truth to our life. Well, okay, I'm going to live according to God's Word. I'm going to pray about this decision. And when God gives you that decision, even though it doesn't make sense, what? You'll have peace. Other people might look at you and say, what are you thinking? You know, I wouldn't have made that decision. But in your heart, there is peace. That's how you know that you are being led by God in that particular instance. It's the presence of God's peace that doesn't make sense to this world. It's the peace... And, oh, I'm sorry. And so then, so those are the first three pieces of armor that we need to be wearing all time. Truth, uh, knowing that God's truth is the ultimate truth, yielding uh, to that and living righteously, and then experiencing God's peace. Those are the things that should characterize us, right? But now we're going to go on to the next three where we pick up when we enter into the battle. And he says, in addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Once again, it says, in addition to this, he says, take up. The others, he's assuming that you already have them on. But next, these next three individually, he's telling you to take these up. And he says, take up the shield of faith. Now, when you talk about the shield of faith for the Roman soldier, it was about maybe four feet high and two feet wide. And so when he crouched behind it, it protected his whole body. There was another shield that had that was around when they held like this. And yeah, that could protect you from the blows of the enemy, but not from arrows coming at you, right? Those were for hand-to-hand combat. These big shields were there to protect your entire body against what? The enemy's archers. But also, it was meant to protect those behind you. Because what the Romans would do, they would line up in a line behind these shields. And the archers would be behind the individuals that were holding these shields. And so when they were given the order, they stood up and they fired their arrows. And then they would crouch down. This is the type of shield that we're talking about. And he says, in addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And so the shield of faith. So what is faith? Faith is not a set set of doctrines that we believe in, that I have faith because I believe this, 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 this. That's not what we're talking about here. The faith we're talking about here is having a basic trust in God. This is, I know the truth. I'm going to live righteously, 
I'm going to experience God's peace, and I'm going to trust God to, that he will take care of everything else, right? That's the trust we're talking about. In Proverbs 3, 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Once again, trust in the Lord. You're fighting a spiritual battle. You need to be using the armor that the Lord's providing and not your own armor. It says, In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make it pass straight. Once again, it's living a life of trust in God and not in our own understanding. Because so many times we try to live with our own understanding. Because, you know, I know my life. I know my circumstances. I know my work environment. I know my career. I know my, this person I'm in a relationship with. I should be able to make these decisions. But God knows something that we don't. Number one, God knows the future that we don't. God knows what he's trying to do through your life, which w- might be hardship that you don't want to be a part of. So we are to trust God. God. Then he said, take on, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The helmet of salvation, obviously, is the helmet you've seen when you've seen these gladiator movies that covered the face right here, right? And it says the helmet of salvation is what? It protects the believer from doubt regarding one's salvation. Okay, Satan knows Our salvation is secure. Satan knows that our name is written in the book of life and your name's not coming out of there, right? However, he's going to get you to doubt. And this is the number that he played on me. And this is one of the biggest lies that that I fell for in my early days as a believer. Because one of the things that I thought, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I would struggle less and less with sin. Right? The more I walked with Christ, the longer I walked with Christ, the more mature of a believer I would, yeah, I would just be victory, you know, have victory over sin. But one thing that had started, I realized that, wait a second, man, I've been a Christian a long time, and I'm struggling with more sin today than I did when I was a younger Christian. And therefore, I thought, man, what's wrong with me? I'm not learning my lessons. I'm repeating the same mistakes. What's going on here, right? And and Satan was throwing up these failures in my face, right? And, you know, even as a pastor, he was throwing up my mistakes. And yes, I've made many mistakes as a pastor. And he said, Dave, man, you're struggling with sin. It seems like you're struggling more with sin. You shouldn't be a pastor. Or, man, look at the mistakes that you've made. You're a failure. You should just give up. You should do something else. Because obviously God did not call you to the ministry. And for a while, he had me believing that. He had me believing that I was probably one of the worst Christians that ever walked this face of the earth. He had me believing that I was a failure. He had me believing that, yeah, I need to leave this ministry, right? Because what? I didn't put on the armor. And I didn't realize that the more mature you get, the more sensitive you are to sins. And yes, there are sins that I overcame. But then God said, well, what about this? What about that? Even this past week, I'm driving down San Gabriel Boulevard. I was kind of in a rush. And you know San Gabriel Boulevard gets backed up and cars get backed up. And you know there are people in parking lots to try to get out. Almost 95 to 100% of the time, what I do is I stop short. And then, you know, I let them in. 
you know, let them into the lane. But this time, for whatever reason, I just right to the car in front of me, blocking that person. And right as I did that, I said, oh, Dave, what were you doing? That wasn't a very loving thing to do. (laughs) The loving thing would have been just to stop short like you always do and let that person in. Well, I guarantee you, when I was younger, I couldn't care less about that. That that didn't even cross my mind. It was like, well, too bad, man. You just have to wait till there's an opening. That's the way it works, right? That never bothered me. But as a believer now, as a mature believer, God is saying, Dave, that wasn't a loving thing to do. You should have let him in. And so this, this is what I'm talking about. There are things in your life that probably you weren't even on your radar, but now they are. And as you're maturing in Christ, you're going to be more and more sensitive to the areas where you are not living in according to God's truth, and you'll be convicted. However, Satan what? He works up here, and he's going to try to convince you that you're a loser. He's going to try to convince you that you are the worst Christian that ever walked the face of this earth. And this is why we need to put on the armor, because that is totally a lie. Never, ever in Scripture do you see a child of God being described as a loser. Never, ever in Scripture do you see God's children, their personality, who they are, who they are, is a failure. That's not in Scripture. But Satan will try to make you think that you are and finally it says take uh, take the sword which is the living powerful word of god to be used in battle and what are we talking about here scripture this is the sword that you need right to use to battle satan but i said it's only powerful if you believe that this is the truth that you choose to live righteously, that you submit yourself and live according to God's word and trust him to take care of the consequences, right? This Bible does very little use sitting on your bookshelf. It's a powerful tool, the most powerful weapon you had. Why? Because it's the sword of the spirit. It tells you what's the source of the Bible? What's the source of your sword? It's the Holy Spirit. It doesn't do any good sitting on your shelf. Satan wants you to keep your Bible on your shelf. Because if he could keep you, your Bible on the shelf, hey man, you're just, you're doing this with no weapon. You're shadow boxing. And that's what he wants. This Bible does no good if you put it under your pillow and sleep on it and think that through osmosis you're going to get it. This Bible is powerful, but you're not using your power if you just read it and don't apply it to your life. And so how many of us do that? We think that we're using, the Holy, we're using the Word of God because I'm reading it without any thought of applying it to our lives. That's not how the sword works. This sword is a pow- the most powerful weapon we have against the spiritual forces, and it only works when we read it, we understand it, we yield it, we say, this is the truth, I'm going to trust it, and I'm gonna, we apply it to, and say, I'm going to live my life according to this. This is how you use it, right? Because we see that when Jesus did it, right? Remember when he was uh, tempted by Satan? He said, you know, Jesus was hungry. He fasted for 40 days. And he said, man, if you're the son of God, see this stones here, turn them into bread. It'll give you something to eat. And what did Jesus say? He says, it 
is written. He didn't say, well, I think, I feel. No, he said, it is written. He quoted what? He brought out the sword. And he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out from the mouth of God. Right? Then Satan said, well, you know what? Why don't you go to the highest point and just throw yourself off, you know, and the, and the angels will catch you. And wow, man, won't that be a significant moment for you, right? And what did Jesus say? It is written that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Once again, what? Got out this, and he quoted scripture using the sword. And then the devil said, you know what? Look at all of the kingdoms of these worlds. Yeah, you want to be king? I'll make you king. I'll give you everything. I'll give you power, right? I'll give you the authority to rule all of these cities, the world. But you, one thing, all you have to do is fall down and worship me. Then what did Jesus say? For it is written, you shall not worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus didn't get in a debate with Satan. He just got out his sword. It says, hey, man, you're hungry. Turn these bed, bread to, uh, stones to bread. Man, you shall not live by bread alone. Whack, right? Hey, man, jump off this building. Man, people are going to think, wow, you're really something special because the angels will catch you. Well, you will not put the Lord to your test. Whack, right? Or, hey, Jesus, you know these kings? I'll give you power. I'll give you the ability to have these things. And he's, Jesus said, no. Worship the Lord and him only. Whack! Satan left. That's how powerful God's word is. Satan couldn't stand up to that. Even the smallest child who is a believer in Jesus Christ, if he brings out that sword, whack! Satan's out of there. This is why, parents, we need to teach our kids how to use the armor of God. It has nothing to do with age. Because this is God's word. Satan has to yield to the authority of God's word. He has no choice, right? But what does Satan say? Well, you know, God's word is good, but hey, why don't you listen to um, these talk show radios? Hey, look at Facebook. You know, look at all of the things people are saying. Hey, that's good advice. You know, why don't you take that? And that's what Satan wants. Because when we're taking advice of other people, other than scripture, Satan goes, bring it on. You know, I can't do nothing. I'm not afraid of that. Right? But once you bring this out, once you bring scripture out, Satan is afraid of scripture. Satan cannot withstand scripture. That's why the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Like I said, even the youngest child who understands scripture, who could quote scripture at the appropriate time, could defeat Satan in that circumstance. Because it has nothing to do with age. It has nothing to do with spiritual power. I mean, physical power. It has everything to do with the power of God. And so I know this was really quick. And we normally I would spend one sermon for each weapon, but it's so important that we put on this armor, that we use it, because without it, you don't have any, you don't stand a chance. You know, when you have people who think that they're failures, living defeated life, 
you know, one place to look is, hey, are we putting on the spiritual armor of God? You know, and parents, this is why it's so important to teach you that, teach your kids that. And my parents were first-generation Christians. They didn't know how to do this, right? My mom was a Buddhist, right? She, she converted to Christianity. She didn't know anything about Christianity. But the one thing that they knew is that understanding the Bible was important. So there was a group of them, six of them, who said, you know what? We need to learn how to understand the Bible. So they actually hired somebody to come in and teach them to um, learn how to read the Bible, right? It was the first Bible study in our church at that time. They didn't know a whole lot, but they knew more than we did. And they passed on what they learned to us. Parents, that's so important, right? And so what's our weekly challenge this week, right? Is I want us to read Ephesians 6, 10 through 17 every day. Why? Because it's, so it's so easy for us to forget that we're in a spiritual battle. It's so easy for us to forget that, hey, you know, I'm smart. I've got a lot of experience. I'm pretty wise. You know, I don't need this stuff. Or we forget that it's even there to be available to us. At the end of the day, review your use of the armor of God. So each day this week, each day this week, I want you to just take time and just review your day. What happened? What temptations were you experiencing? Where were you successful? Where were you not? Was it because you didn't put on the uh, full armor of God? Then apply scripture to resist the attacks of our enemy. Because like I said, you know the difference. And when you are getting attacked by the enemy to be tempted to do something, it is strong, right? And I can't tell you how many times that I succumbed to that. But the truth, the truth is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That as that song, It Is Well, says that all my sin not in part, not just part of it, was nailed to the cross. All of my sin, all of my mistakes were forgiven. Then I need to pick myself, God's going to pick me up and say, Dave, I want you to move forward. I don't want you to live a defeated life. I defeated our enemy for you. All you have to do is fight the battle. Get up. So I hope you're all encouraged, you know, that in God's sight... You are victorious, whether you feel it, whether you think it or not. And if you don't, if you think that you're a loser, if you're a failure, that's coming from our enemy. That's what we need to put on our spiritual armor. And then you realize, I'm a child of God. He he can't defeat me. He can't take my salvation away from me. He could try to make me miserable. He could try to make me think bad things about myself. But he can't touch me. Why? Because I'm protected by the power of God if, if I have my armor on. Right? Let's pray. Worship team, please come forward. Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that although our enemy is strong, although our enemy is well organized, although our enemy knows our weaknesses, Father, you are infinitely more powerful. And Father, that we are victorious. Father, that you conquered sin, you conquered death on the cross. And that we 
are the children of the king, and nothing can take that away from us. The enemy might try to convince us that we are the children of a pauper, of a poor person, but no, Lord, we are the children of the king. For those of you who are here right now, I just want you to contemplate on this message. You might be sitting here today, and instead of a peaceful heart, you're just filled with anxiety and worry. Well, you need to trust in the truth, as hard as it might be. And you yield yourself to that truth and allow God's peace to just saturate you, that peace that doesn't make sense. Your circumstances may not change, but your response to these circumstances around you will. So if you are anxious right now, or if you have to make a big decision and you're not sure how to do it, or you're kind of worried about it, just take a few moments to bring these to God and to ask God to protect you with his armor that you put on. And brothers and sisters, according to the truth, which is the ultimate truth, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are victorious. You will always be victorious. And that's something that our enemy can't take away from us. Unless we allow him to trick us and believe his lies. So I want each one of you to leave here today to have that hope in the future, both now and in the life to come, that you are victorious. Do not believe in the lies of our enemy, who is the father of lies, who says you're not significant, who says that you're the worst Christian that ever lived, that says maybe you're not a Christian. Don't believe those lies. Rebuke him. Stand against our enemies. Stand firm using the armor of God. And see how it goes for you. God, thank you once again for providing us the weapons we need to fight our enemy. And Lord, I pray that through it we would believe that we are victorious and that we would always have hope and never give up despite the many mistakes we make. Lord, that we will always be the children of the King. In your son's name we pray, amen.